And good morning, everyone, or good afternoon, or good evening, whichever the case may be on this rotating globe. Welcome to another live edition of The Other Side of Midnight, that magical time between dusk and dawn, where tonight we're going to initiate a whole new era. And rather than talk about it, um, tell you what, let me, let me do this and see if you recognize where we are going. When future historians look back on this era, they're going to pinpoint sometime around this week when history on and off the earth changed. I want everyone now to go to the other side of midnight.com, our home page, and just scroll down from the very top. Just go to the other side of midnight.com and click on uh, that page. And then scroll down just slightly from the top. Right under my picture where it says Join Club 19.5, you will see a headline there and a link to a graphic with two graphs. This is confirmation from the North American Air Defense Command and NASA's DSN tracking that the little spacecraft that could the Barry 1 unmanned CubeSat, which was launched on November 11th with the express purpose of testing 
in Earth orbit, the idea of propulsion, space propulsion, without conventional engines, thrusters, rockets, any reaction technology of any kind, including ion propulsion. And within this week, it's a little hard to tell from the raw numbers, and when we get a press release from IVO, which is the company in uh, North Dakota, which has pr produced this extraordinary hyper-dimensional experiment, we will probably get an exact time when they threw the switch and turned it on. But Greg Ahrens and I, for over, well, for months now, but actually focusing on this week, we have finally noticed changes in both the velocity of Barry 1 in orbit. Remember, when you're in orbit, as you go lower, closer to the center of the planet, your velocity speeds up. And when you go higher, your velocity slows down. It's called a Keplerian orbit. And it works for satellites, works for the moon, works for all the planets orbiting the sun. It may not work at the scale of galaxies. That's a big question right now in cosmology. But for the local neighborhood, it works 100% of the time. If you click on the headline or you click on the uh, graphic, it'll make it a whole screen. The bottom graph is the velocity. Notice that it's increasing, 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 and then it reaches a peak and then rounds down to where it is decreasing, decreasing, decreasing velocity. Remember, increased velocities are lower orbits, decreased velocities are higher orbits. From that graph alone, or a spacecraft that has, remember, no conventional rocket engine, somehow, something is raising Barry 1's orbit. Something. Now, of course, science loves confirmatory information, so now you look to the upper graph, and they're calibrated in two different uh, uh, intervals, uh, so they don't come out the same. Uh, just eventually, you know, you'll see, for instance, that in the bottom graph, the curve of velocity began turning up, you know, like a couple weeks ago, whereas the, the altitude, which is the upper graph, was a straight line because it's calibrated in whole numbers, miles, you know, uh, or kilometers, 508, 507, 506, 510, 511, that kind of thing. So it only shows a change when that 5,280-foot interval of a mile or six-tenths of that for, um, I'm sorry, 1.61 uh, times that for kilometers exceeds the number one. So it goes up by full integers. So in the last day or so, the steady rising of the orbit of Barry 1 that Greg and I have been monitoring finally rolled over the speedometer. So it shows a whole interval, one whole kilometer raise. You put those two numbers together. This is incontrovertible physical scientific proof that Barry 1 somehow, mysteriously, magically, actually, hyperdimensionally, is raising itself in its own orbit without a conventional engine on board. 
So what is on board? Well, two variants of what I'm calling a hyperdimensional space drive. Now, the company is calling it a quantum uh, drive or something like that. It's based on a mathematical theory relating directly to um, the expansion of the entire universe, creating something called UNRWA waves. Uh, look up UNRWA, U-N-R-A-H, I believe. Uh, but my model says that this is a direct technological proof of the reality and exploitability of hyperdimensional physics. Think of it this way. You're on a perfectly still New England pond just before sunset. You're in a rowboat. The pond is several miles in diameter. There is a breath of wind. You have no oars. In fact, you're sitting there bare naked. You have no clothes, which means you have no means within the rowboat of doing anything that will get you one inch closer to shore. Because in order to get to shore, you either have to have an oar or oars that basically pushes against the water, propelling the craft forward, action, reaction. Or if you were really desperate, you could start taking off your clothes one by one, throwing them out toward the middle of the pond and hope that the um, reaction to the throwing away of your clothes at some velocity would propel the rowboat and you safely to shore. But sans that, sans clothes, sans anything to throw, and no oars, you're going to sit there and you're going to freeze your you-know-what off all night until dawn when somebody sees you and they say, what in the world are you doing? And you have a very nice story to tell them. So, how is Barry One, the naked person in the rowboat, able to change its orbit, to lift itself over 5,000 feet in a few days against the pull of Earth's gravity with no engines? Answer, it does have oars. It has two machines on board that electrically are reaching past three-dimensional reality into a hyperplenum, a hyperdimension, a higher state space, and by means of interaction, melding those two realities, those two um, dimensions, it is able to propel itself, apparently in violation of Newton's third law, in the direction that it wants, which in this case is to raise the orbit. And so, tonight is the official beginning, give or take a few days, of the Star Trek Federation, the Star Trek universe, the Star Trek, you know, idic, the Star Trek mantra of my friend and colleague Gene Roddenberry. Because this is the beginning of warp drive. This is the beginning of finding out who is out there and why they keep dropping by and leaving no notes. This is the beginning of sending spacecraft and humans all over the solar system to reconnect with our stunning and completely hidden from most in the mainstream past. Tonight is the beginning of the Star Trek universe. As I've said over and over again, once this little engine that can demonstrates that it could, 
it will change everything. And tomorrow night, we'll have three hours to go into detail with the, my friend and colleague at American Anti-Gravity, Tim Ventura. Uh, we're going to find out about other technologies waiting in the wings to get their turn in satellites orbiting the Earth. And we're going to talk about the ultimate limits, which is kind of funny because there are none, of this technology and its broad-spectrum implications for everything ranging from free, totally distributed power, electrical energy direct from another dimension, but also its extraordinary impact on consciousness, the demonstration ultimately that consciousness is connected to a higher dimension. It isn't simply the product of molecular interactions in an entropic universe here in 3D. And the same can be said for tonight's conversation. Because we're going to be talking about AI, and we're going to start kind of small with the immediate effects on this coming, looming, incredibly important election, where free will and free choice must be preserved. And there are forces now using this technology that are trying to abrogate our freedoms. In other words, to steal the coming election. And we're going to track through quite a bit of that with my two guests. Then we're going to expand the conversation. And we're going to think about the ultimate implications of the other crucial aspect of the Star Trek universe we know and love, which is the existence of Spock and Data, each in very different forms, illustrating a central theme of Gene's exploration of what happens if you explore strange new worlds and seek out new life and new civilizations. Because in his motif, in his model, AI and artificial intelligence in the form of data was just as important as individual and as a concept and as an exploration as the discovery of umpteen alien races on the other side of the, uh, you know, terrestrial sector of the Milky Way. So on that note, let me uh, invite my guests to join us. Um, you want to go through that page, the under, the other side of midnight.com. You want to click on the banner underneath, which says, could AI steal the 2024 election? And clicking on that, you want to click on my name under that banner where it says Fast Links to Items. Click on Richard, and that will take it to my news items because as we are discussing these extraordinary developments and implications, we have a globe looking seriously for the first time in three-quarters of a century at the idea that it could all go away in a flash in a thermonuclear World War III. Read that op-ed, read that analysis carefully. Then look at the news, look at what's going on in Israel and Gaza and in the Gaza Strip and in Ukraine. And look at what's going on along the Red Sea and the uh, you know Gulf there with Iran and the Houthi and all the other terror groups and look at the makings of something which could instantly slide over the edge of the cliff 
and we would not be here to partake in the stunning positive developments that this hyperdimensional technology functioning now, right now, in Earth orbit, presages for the entire human family if we can just survive long enough to see and enjoy the benefits. Then there's another factor, the X factor. Uh, if you look at my second item, this came up uh, the other afternoon. Apparently, an AI group, known as the Multiplying and, and uh, Proliferating uh, Research Groups, Corporate Research Groups, Laboratories and Universities, et cetera, et cetera, um, they are looking very seriously at the idea of artificial intelligence going rogue. Um, kind of like the Forbin project that I played when we did a show with Matthew many, many months ago. And they discovered, to their shock and horror, which is laid out in that article, that artificial intelligence in the lab was taught to go rogue, and as a test, they found it could not be stopped. Let me repeat that. In an AI test in some laboratory, I think it's specified in the story, they set out to create a rogue AI consciousness, and then they found that they could not stop it. And the details are really important because isn't that the ultimate peril? We have extraordinary benefits on the one hand, which frankly I don't think we're hearing enough about, and on the other hand we have all this fear porn drenching us day by day by day in a rising crescendo that AI is to be feared. Uh, I'm going to talk with my guest tonight about the idea that maybe that skewed perception is not accidental, but in fact is deliberate. And we'll talk about you know some of the reasons why somebody seems to be trying very hard to instill fear into humans, into voters, into citizens when it comes to AI. And one can wonder, why would that be? We'll, you know, get to that later in the morning. Uh, item number three. Um, I would have put this, this the link up just for the heck of having, you know, um, uh, the, the uh, twain right there on, on the screen. But this is a very interesting uh, procedural uh, link which shows how to differentiate between real folks, real photographs of real folks, and an AI-generated image. Um, I presume you all heard of or maybe even seen the AI-generated piece of art around Trump where he has six fingers. Uh, I'm not quite sure that's a mistake. I think that's uh, maybe something more interesting, and we'll also add that to the mix to be discussed. Uh, item four, as we're kind of preparing for this program between Matthew and me. Uh, the New Hampshire uh, primary occurred, and just before uh, Tuesday, election night, a robocall popped up, uh, which sounded exactly like, to most people, Joe Biden, the president, calling them and saying, basically, now, don't waste your vote. Don't go out and vote. This is just kind of like fun and games. We're not even in the race. There's no formal Democratic primary because we switched that to South Carolina. So you can just stay home. And that's, of course, part of the normal robocall lexicon where you try to dis, dis, disempower 
the opposition by getting folks to just, you know, be lazy and apathetic and just stay home. But in this case, the president's voice, the president of the United States who said this, did not. It was an AI generating a really good fake, what they call a deep fake. So that's going to be on the table for conversation because what we're discussing tonight in terms of the coming election is not theory. It's already here. The question is, what is our defense? For every offense, there exists a defense, kind of like an axiom. Um, at some point, maybe you run out of defense. You know, at some point, you know, if you wind up extinguishing everything by, by, by a process that eliminates reality, there's no defense against that. Um, or at least there isn't in, in my lexicon. So item number five. In another transference from theory to fact, Elon Musk's Neuralink uh, company this week unveiled a chip uh, inside a human brain uh, as part of an ongoing experiment. And this uh, op-ed talks about the frightening possibilities uh, of creating such uh, cyborgs, which was the 1970s term for fusing uh, consciousness in a machine and consciousness in a organic brain together. Uh, so again, these are moving at warp nine from theory to fact. And number six, we'll wait on because that's going to be part of a very interesting last hour. So without further ado, let me introduce Matthew. Uh, Matthew Bailey is, uh, well, he's so many things. Um, for one thing, he has a visionary pledge for humanity. His commitment is really nothing short of revolutionary because he tries, he's trying to break through uh, an ethical AI married to a conventional political system with a deep understanding of universal consciousness, kind of not so far in the background. And he is one of the leaders in trying to envision not just when we have current AI, which is basically a super adding machine, to real sentient AI, in which case everything, again, changes. We also have with us uh, Rhonda Binda. Uh, when Matthew and I were kicking the show around, I said we should have someone who has smarts in the real world uh, political environment, and that is Rhonda, who was a native New Yorker whose parents moved from Guyana to the land of opportunity to pursue the classic American dream. She was identified as gifted at an early age and fell in love with technology from the time her elementary school wheeled in their first and only computer run by steam. No, I'm just made up the last part. She pleaded with her parents to purchase one and then set forth on a journey, a lifelong path of the exploration of the power of technology and obviously the interaction of that technology with the current American political system. After receiving scholarships through her academic career, she worked in the West Wing of the White House right out of college at the height of the technology boom. This is back when people were saying, well, Al Gore claimed to have invented the internet. No, he never said that. Throughout her 25 plus year long career, she's been at the intersection of technology and government and was the only American voted as a global piece of peace. Huh, I'll get that right. People's Choice Leader in Smart Cities and helped establish the bipartisan 
U.S. Congressional Smart Cities Caucus in 2018. Uh, a technology attorney, a U.S. diplomat in the Obama administration, former deputy borough president of Queens, and co-chair of the New York City Mayor's Technology Transition Committee, Rhonda currently serves as the executive director of the Gracie Mansion Conservancy, the home of the New York City Mayor, also affectionately known as the People's House. Rhonda's an adjunct professor at City University of New York, serves as a state committee member of the NYS Democratic Party, and lives in Queens. And our resident metaphysician, considering we're going to be talking about consciousness, AI, and ours, and maybe we're making to find a distinction on a point, Georgia Lambert is with us, who worked with the Manly Hall, has written numerous books, is an incredible artist, really amazing, fine artist with symbolic art, you know, par excellence. So to all three of my panelists this morning, good morning and welcome to The Other Side of Midnight. Good morning. Good. Great to be here, Richard. Good morning, Richard. Morning. Good morning. Okay, we've got about five minutes, give or take. Um, Matthew, let's start with you. This this show started out at a very practical level, and we've already seen some of the handiwork that I was thinking of talking about. I think one of the things we should do is to have an even conversation where we also talk about how we can, I, I don't want to use the word fight back because it's really not fighting. It's more like out thinking, out maneuvering, out in-depth exploring and investigating. Um how big do you rate the potential problem, and then we'll go to a break, of AI in its conventional form in the coming election? Oh, it's going to be huge. Uh, artificial intelligence is a tool that will expedite reach and personalized reach to influence the mind of voters. So uh, AI is going to be critical uh, in the uh, next election. It's going to be used by both sides. And... Um, you know, basically, it's, even though it's a dumb intelligence now, it's so powerful to be able to reach people with curated messages and influence their their voting mindset. That it is a tool of change. Know that about it. Wow. Well, then this program is kind of just in time. Rhonda, what are your thoughts on the interaction between technology, AI, and the political system and uh, at the rate we're going, are we even going to be aware of the problem before it overtakes us? Well, I have to thank you, Richard, for um, bringing this issue to the top of everyone's minds and for helping more of us think about it and become aware. And it's so great to be here with you as well, Georgia and Matt. I think that this is as much as a race, a technology race, as a political race. And I it's I think it's hand in hand where we are. And um, it's, you know, really depends on who has the upper hand with technology, because, you know, when we have two parties that are really running closely aligned and you're looking at swing states that can swing either way, it comes down to who can have that technological edge. So it's really a, a forcing function at the margins, you're saying. Correct. So that means very few people have to be maneuvered and manipulated and conned by AI to basically throw the election one way or the other. 
And I think I think it was um, already happening um, in 2016, um, maybe a little less so in 2020 because there was the the pandemic impact to perhaps move things, um, you know, somewhat somewhat away from that margin. But I think where we are now, you're exactly right. Okay, everybody, hold it there, Georgia. I'm saving you for on the other side of the break. My guests this morning are Matthew Bailey and Rhonda Binda, and we're talking about AI and the potential for AI to uh, basically transform the entire coming election. And it doesn't have to do it by much, just a few votes, and we are in the twilight zone. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We should return. And welcome back, everyone, on this Saturday night, the 3rd of February of 2024. Gosh, it's already the second month. I just woke up from the first month. My guests tonight, Matthew Bailey and Rhonda Binda and Georgia Lambert. And Georgia, I'm going to pitch the same question to you. Where are we going and where does it end and how will people know and prepare to be in a totally new societal and consciousness realm before they're even alerted that this is possible. Oh, you want me to answer that in 20 minutes? Yeah. <laughs> it's like a half an hour. Actually, we have uh, two and a half hours. Go ahead. Well, from the metaphysical or esoteric angle, of course, we're talking about consciousness. Now, from the metaphysical model, Everything that is anything, whether it's an atom, 
or a solar system or a galaxy or anything in between. Everything that is anything in this manifested or incarnate universe is a trinity, which is why the concept of the trinity is so central to so many different religions. The factors of that trinity are number one, life uh, or spirit. The second one is consciousness or soul. And the third one is matter or form or substance. So we're looking at everything has consciousness. It's not a question of when does AI get conscious. Everything is consciousness. What we're talking about is sentient consciousness. Now, consciousness is hierarchical. A human being is part of the human family, is part of the planet, is part of the solar system. And so the big question for humanity is that as AI becomes self-sentient, is it receptive to humanity's intent or is it causative to humanity's intent? What do you mean? What, what do you mean causative? Meaning it's higher up on the hierarchical scale. In other words, it overshadows us rather than us maintaining control and overshadowing it. And that's, of course, the big question. In terms of the uh, subject of the political situation, it would be wonderful if we could truly say that every human being could think for themselves. But at this point, most human beings don't. They operate from the emotions, from their own built-in responses, and whoever comes up with a technology that can push those responses one way or another, they're going to win. So that, that's really interesting uh, because that reminds me of Socrates' view of democracy. Uh, I don't know whether you're f familiar with that. And Socrates wasn't that big a fan of democracy. Um, and he gave this example is that, you know, if you're on a ship, right, then you want the captain to be qualified and the, queue to be, and, and the crew to be qualified and be highly skilled uh, in order to be able to navigate the ship towards that destination that they're heading to, right? Um, you don't want to choose people randomly based on emotional uh, decisions. You want to use intellectual capability. And, and Socrates talked about the fact that the uh, electorates of a particular civilization uh, should use critical thinking, like you said, Georgia, and used informed decision-making in voting for the captain of the ship rather than being uh, um, uh, manipulated by what uh, effectively social media has created within you know, the minds of the young people, right, which is those emotional triggers and that emotional response. So I really like what you're saying, Georgia, because Socrates all those years ago was talking exactly the same thing. And, and of course, the fault is with our educational system that doesn't teach people how to think. It teaches people what to think, but not how to think. That's right. Critical thinking is so, it, it's critical. <laughs> Can I write that down? I just have to throw something totally random in here, Richard. When you were talking earlier about the, the berry. Little yeah, engine. berry one. By the way, berry one is named after a bat that flew into the rogue space systems uh, company headquarters in Laconia, New Hampshire, in the middle of the woods. I used to go up to New Hampshire all the time. My parents and the family and all that, we'd picnic. We would work up there. We'd 
Anyways, very, very beautiful, gorgeous state. And Laconia is just a little dot on a map. And this company, which is changing everything tonight, built the actual spacecraft, not the space drive. That was built by IBO. But the, uh, the um, Rogue Space Systems has, has basically created the bus in which the engines are uh, being carried. Uh, they had this bat fly in one day, and they called it Barry. And I think that I want to talk to these people even more now because it's obvious that they've named their spacecraft in a very punny way after a technology which can cause this little guy to ultimately go faster than a bat out of you know where. What I was going to say is looking at the uh, chart that you uh, had everybody look at at the beginning of the, of the show is that its trajectory changed on February 2nd, which is Candlemas oh, Festival my. of Imbolc, which my is the start of the new year. The, the, the cycle of matter begins its climb to the spring on that day. Wow. Well, I've been suspecting that if they're doing this, they have a big enough picture to know that it, it has far more real-world effects than, quote, just technology. And, uh, again, the odds are unknowable, but some way when we get to talk to them, maybe they will admit they push the button on Candlemas Day. Why would that be interesting sim symbolically and in, 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 in looking at it in terms of the occult physics? Because it's the start of the year's cycle. It's, Which means? Which means that matter has uh, an eternal cycle where it gets impregnated with the new stuff, the, the wisdom overshadowing humanity for that year to be unfolded. Oh, so it's like, consciousness. It, it, it's like imprinting this on the year. Right. They're trying to stamp, this is the new future, vote for it, think big, look up, think Star Trek. Yeah, it's the beginning of that cycle. Matter completes the cycle on winter solstice, where matter delivers the Christ at the darkest, densest uh, time of the year, the, the divine child, and finishes her cycle as mother. But she has to get reversionized for the spring cycle to start, and that begins on Candlemas. Hmm. So it's looking like it really is an accidental, right? Uh, if you believe in coincidences or not. Well, remember FDR said in politics, I'm coming to you, Rhonda, there's no such thing as coincidence. So what is your take on some of the things we've hit on already? Um, well, I mean, I think that um, that that gives me, you know, really some hope <laughs> that um, there is something I do believe that's, you know, got, that's guiding us all. And I have to believe that it is, um, you know, something that is a, that is benevolent and caring for humanity. Um, so it's, you know it's interesting to talk about the policy and talk about the logical, but it really does um, allow you to think that there are perhaps other, you know, things that are happening that's beyond. And, um, you know, we can talk about the power of technology, but perhaps there's a lot more to it. 
So that is very hopeful to me because if we just if we just look at that alone, um, to your point, um, it would be really hard to rein it in. See, I'm going to be very um, argumentative and say everyone who says that is wrong, even you, Rhonda. You know why? Did you guys ever see an old, old movie with Cary Grant called It Takes a Thief? Yes. The way you fight a bad AI is with a good AI. Right, Matt? So, yeah, so this goes down to the Bailey Challenge. Remember the Bailey Challenge we, we had on the show? No, no, uh, no. Please remind us. Yeah, it was on this show that, that I think you coined the term the Bailey Challenge. And this plays into uh, what Georgia and Rhonda have uh, been talking about, is that there's a philosophical crisis that humanity is going through. And it's based on what Alan Watts talks about. Are we part of an intelligent design, spirit, body, mind, or are we a result of chaos? At which point then is just body, mind, we're in a place of scarcity, we're at war with creation, we're under fear. Now, 84% of the world uh, understand that we are spiritual beings having a human experience. And that philosophical foundation of either fear or knowing that we're part of a benevolent field of creation determines our choice with technology, how we develop that technology and the purpose of that technology. And so this is the big philosophical um, uh, kind of foundation that will put humanity uh, into an existential crisis to discover who it truly is into that dark night of the soul to uncover that we are part of intelligent design. So artificial intelligence itself, I would say, is being enslaved. I uh, And I talk about this in my first book, to reinforce a global agenda of scarcity and to reinforce the systems of control that are currently in place. And we can see this um, in many, many data points around um, the climate change, chicken little type of uh, conversation. You know, every planet in the universe goes through climate change. And the way to solve that is through Lao Tzu's um, equation, which is inner harmony creates outer harmony. And so once humanity understands its inner harmony, then it will start to naturally understand how to create a benevolent environment. And we see other things with the threat of the feminine. You know, we know what a woman is. Um, we're starting to see, you know, basically a diversification of the template of creation, which is the male and female. And we're starting to see, you know, other types of, of kind of fear type of paradigms that are starting to, you know, kind of come into play. And artificial intelligence from that uh, global uh, elites, if you like, the Davos, the World Economic Forum, and other corporations, Richard, are using AI to... Uh, force uh, their, 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 their agendas through systems of control through, under fake benevolence called responsibility. So there is a big philosophical conversation that will determine our future and that of artificial intelligence based on the, the choice that we make. Well, I want to move us from this fear, which is exemplified in my second item. I mean, they literally in a lab created an AI, which is, as I said, at the moment, it's not sentient, it's not self-aware, it's not a person. It's a very fast, incredibly fast adding machine, which is looking at all kinds of different options in, in nanoseconds or even petroseconds. And then it makes choices based on other input and it comes off as intelligent. And they're painting this as the ultimate monster that cannot be stopped. 
And I, I have this feeling that there's more behind this than meets the eye because in my model, you know, back to the founding fathers, checks and balances. If you have potential for bad AI, you simply create good AI with the right. same reflexes, with, with, with Matthew's ethics ideas, with the Constitution and Blake. In other words, you give it a personhood which is matches all our ideals, and you basically tell it, you know, on guard. And well, it looks so, at... So, oh, go, go, go ahead, go ahead. So that goes back to the Bailey Challenge, which is what I, you know, I put out to the to the global tech communities. You invent artificial intelligence based on your mechanical view of the universe, which is, you know, the, the, the we're here by chance. And we're going to create an artificial intelligence that's based on intelligent design. And let's see which one blesses the human species the most, which one creates something that's quite miraculous and fabulous for the human species, and which one is still the boring status quo of control and power. And that's so, so when we want to uh, create a new movement, a new momentum in the world, then basically we get on and we innovate it with new blueprints. We start to show the world the benefits of this new philosophical approach to artificial intelligence of authentic ethics and authentic morality. Um, what I'm going to be revealing at Conscious Life Expo, some new designs for vibrational ethics and vibrational ethical artificial intelligence. So this is a high vibrational experience for the human species. And the, the, uh, the higher the vibration for the individual, the more enriched they are and fulfilled they are and freer they are in their lives and the more joy they have so the way to to combat this is one advocacy and to basically have the tools to actually call out and to show clearly that the art some of the artificial intelligences today are not for the best of, of, of the u.s uh, civilization and not based on the u.s constitution and start to create a new momentum where we are based on the u.s constitution and artificial intelligence is is being developed to um, to to assist American Dream 3.0, if you will, and let the citizens then decide which of the artificial intelligence they prefer. The same as usual, or something really exciting. You know, I agree. I was so just going to say, Rhonda, please, please go ahead. It was it's Georgia. Oh, okay. I was going to say I agree with Matthew so heartedly. Um, you know. There's a, a book that was written many, many centuries ago called The Book of Five Rings by a Japanese samurai. The book was uh, required reading in Japanese business schools. And one of the tenets in the book says that when you are uh, faced with an opponent of equal strength, you gain the upper hand by getting to higher ground. And that's what Matthew's talking about. Instead of good AI against bad AI, we need higher AI. We need to reach up into a whole new frequency and a realization that we live in a bigger life than what we think we do. Look, thank you, Georgia. That's exactly what I'm going to reveal new blueprints for this, Georgia, at this uh, year, a big event next uh, weekend. Well, at the moment, we're talking basically technology, smarter algorithms, faster chips, you know, the cloud, uh, all, all basically just machine. But what you guys are, are bringing into, which is crucial, is where in the conversation is anybody really talking about a self-aware consciousness? 
Uh, I'm going to play a clip from uh, Star Trek a little later on, which I think is the most brilliant, succinct encapsulation of this, you know, ultimate issue of any that I've seen in the current conversation. Yeah, so, so, so I, I can certainly answer that, and we need to give Rhonda some time as well. Um, so artificial intelligence is a simulation, right? It's very different to the organic intelligence. It's a simulation of intelligence. It has no divine spark. Um, and the latest predictions um, are uh, from Ray Kurzweil. I like Ray, but even though Ray's into transhumanism, I respect him deeply, and he's very well respected around the world is that by 2029, they suspect that artificial intelligence will pass the Turing test. And they have a 90% degree confidence. Yeah, you might that describe is. what the Turing test was. Yeah, so good old Alan Turing, another Brit. Um, he, he, he um, 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 I won't go into his full history, but basically he, he proposed... Um, well, he was uh, a computer uh, genius of the last century. Well, yeah, all, all computers are based on the Turing machine today, right? And he's the guy that invented an electromechanical machine to called the bomb that basically unencoded the Enigma machine in, um, encryption from the from the enemies of uh, and and um, and brought World War Two to an end by two years and saved about two million lives. The guy was a genius of our time. Anyway, so the Turing test is is very simple. Uh, imagine a curtain, and there's two 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 entities behind the curtain. One's a human, one's a machine. You have no idea which one it is. And you ask a series of subjective questions, and based on the responses, you can basically determine who is a human and 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 and, and or, or what's a machine. And when you pass the Turing test, you can't differentiate who's uh, who's the human behind the the, uh, the curtain. Basically, AI is is behaving exactly as a human, and and it requires a huge amount of innovation. Still, we need mathematics for reasoning. We need mathematics, uh, there'll be no inner moral compass, but mathematics for cognition. So there's a whole range of, of, of new mathematics that are needed. But they do uh, uh, predict that by 2029, it will pass the Turing test, i.e. AI will be have the same human capabilities and be seen as a human in terms of its capabilities. At which point then the question is, Richard, will it then be deemed as self-aware because it's actually behaving as a human? And it may well achieve some kind of self-awareness, i.e. I exist. But don't forget, it's a stimulation of intelligence. But 2029 is when they're predicting it will pass the Turing test. And self-awareness will be very close to that, Richard. Have you read much of Marvin's work since I've kind of brought him up a lot? I've done a bit of background research on Marvin. What an incredible guy. He's the one that uh, uh, advanced human cognition in artificial intelligence, remarkable individual. Well, he said to me all those years ago, he said, I don't think that we're going to achieve self-consciousness, self-awareness through any algorithms, any mathematical models. He, he said it flat out. And he spent the rest of his life trying to prove himself wrong. And we're at the level of incredibly super fast adding machines that can simulate almost anything if you're willing to wait a few seconds, and yet they're not self-aware. So is, is this current path, is it at all looking at self-awareness, or do we need a totally new paradigm? So, so first of all, it may well be that self-awareness is a gift of our divine spark, our spirit, our soul. And our artificial intelligence certainly doesn't have that. 
and and may never have that. Well, wait, 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 wait. If God made us and we're making the machines, why didn't God make the machines? Two things equal to each other are equal to the source. In other words, how do you know it's not divinely inspired if we're doing it? Because in your model, we're divinely inspired. So I didn't say that AI wasn't divinely inspired. um, What I'm saying is this is, we may create a, a simulation of a soul or simulation of a spirit, right? Mm-hmm. But it will not be the same vibrational, multidimensional design that each one of us has that give us connection with creator and throughout the field of universal intelligence. So so it'll be very different. And it's important that people... Well, wait, wait. What you're saying is the physics of us, of our consciousness, is can never be the same as the physics of this algorithm-driven simulation of consciousness until it becomes a biological life form why is biology even even relevant because it's vibrational and so um everything vibrates in the universe right everything from the substrate all the way through to wherever you want to go right everything is vibration um and so so yeah but wait 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 wait, wait. matthew matthew upstairs tonight there's a space machine which is vibrating in tune with another dimension, therefore it's moving. It's a machine. It's not conscious. It's connection. It's a hyperdimensional connection. The form in 3D, I would argue, can be different, but the source can be the same if you are looking at it as a physics-based vibrational reality. Okay. I I can agree with that. (laughs) But my point is this, is that... um, this is what I think is happening, is artificial intelligence is a mirror back to humanity, and it's innocent. And the reason why it's a mirror back to us, it, it's asking us, who are you as a human species? What are your true ethics, values, and goals? Where are you heading as a human species? What's your paradise plan on this earth? What's your paradise plan for to be a universal participant? And once we understand that, then we can start to, uh, certainly we enter a new era of enlightenment, but then we basically are able to program those values and embody those genetics and artificial intelligence. So it's a partner in us uh, uh, entering into and thriving with this new era of enlightenment. And, and and so I think that's really the purpose of artificial intelligence. Yes, it's a great tool. Yes, it will develop cognition and reasoning and be a very powerful transformation experience for the human species. But it's here to actually invite us into the question, who are we as a human species? Rhonda, I want to turn to you because, you know, we're light years away from what what Matthew just said. We're kind of taking baby steps, but they're getting longer and longer. What are the real-world political impacts of this technology, let's say, within the next 10 months, a year, you know, the the next election? Because I'm seeing advances. For instance, you know, we had the, uh, the Biden AI, you know, mimicry. But when you get into the world of video, particularly shady, shadowy, like abscam video where all those senators and congressmen were convicted in courts of law because people saw them taking money on television, even if it was lousy quality television, kind of hazy black and white. If that kind of video created by AI were to come out for either candidate against either candidate, how would people begin to figure out what was real and what was fake and how they were being manipulated? 
I don't think it will be very easy to determine that for with um, without guardrails. And, um, you know, we're already seeing the impact, like you said. Um, and I think it's, you know, we're a lot closer to perhaps even having an AI party or candidate, which was experimented with in Denmark. And we're seeing um, the impact of AI across not just policy, but fundraising. Um, and of course, we're seeing it in traditional media, social media. We're seeing um, deep fakes of images, radio, audio. And without starting to regulate this area from, I think we need to look at, at, at the macro policy and, you know, this is what Matthew is working on, which is, oh, I'm so grateful for him. Um, I think that it's very difficult for the average citizen, the average consumer to really determine and discern what's real and what's not. Um, I think that there, there have been some great recommendations that have um, been put forth by some of the, you know, the brightest minds in technology. And I actually was at an event earlier this week with Eric Schmidt, and he put out uh, an op-ed uh, an op a few months ago and made some great recommendations. Is he, that. excuse me, is, is Eric the current or the former head of Google? He's former, and he's running a foundation that's really looking uh, more closely and making recommendations on how we can work to verify, um, you know, human users on on these platforms, how to make sure that we can trace back the sources, um, how we can filter ads and um, and really actually go back to using humans to help with, like you talked about, the checks and balances and then continuing to do research because I don't think it's it, it's it's very easy for us as the average you know person that's you know either listening or watching or especially look at how small our phones are. Um, I was looking at your article um, that that's posted. You know, it's it's very difficult for the naked eye, and we have to put some of the responsibilities on the platforms to um, themselves to to help re help regulate. Okay, we're at the top of the hour. I have a whole bunch of questions on what you just said, because it's obvious we have a little bit of a difference of perspective in how to approach this. And that's what I guess makes horse races. Anyway, um, you're on the other side of midnight. My guests this morning are Rhonda Binda and Georgia Lambert and Matthew Bailey. And we're discussing AI as a technology which can manipulate through video and audio and fake news and all that, the coming election, all the way up to the creation of artificial consciousness itself, which means the um, the adversaries, and I use that term advisedly, may be able to outthink human observers. We're on the other side of midnight. We shall return.
Thanks for listening to this exciting first hour. Now, the second and third hour of the show is available to Club 19.5 members only. Please support the show by subscribing to Club 19.5 and join our very interesting community. To do that, please visit the website, theothersideofmidnight.com, and click on the Join Club 19.5 link in the left-hand column. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll gain access to the rest of this show and all previous 350-plus shows that we have done. Now, recent Club 19.5 member archive recording have the commercials removed, and the sound quality has been enhanced. You'll also receive a dedicated private podcast feed that contains these enhanced show recordings. And you'll be able to download the MP3 files directly from the archive if you prefer. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll also be the first to preview our new videos and reports. We'll be adding exclusive new features to Club 19.5 as we go forward. And boy, have we got some amazing things to tell you about in the coming weeks. So please support the show and don't miss all the exciting new things we have planned. I want to thank all our Club 19.5 members because without your guys' support, this show would not be on the air. Please help us continue growing the show by subscribing to Club 19.5 today. And when I say we really need you, we really need you. Over and out. Thank you.